Hi, this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Mesh Tsunami podcast. This week, we were offered five conversations from episode four, our review of mottled epidemiology and disease burden with Zobar Yanasi, plus from the vault, an epidemiology discussion from back in 2022. This conversation starts with me stating how important and efficient it appears to be to flatten the growth curve and to ask Zobar what he considers key to doing so. Zobar replies that the key is multidisciplinary care centered around primary care, which will require extensive physician education. He also comments that countries may differ widely in what their current muscle priority should be. He introduces the idea of the sociodemographic index and the difference between high and low SBI countries. To Zobar, it's critical to elevate the issue of how to support low SBI versus high SBI countries, which involves in different ways every stakeholder from WHO and global authorities down to patients and their advocates in the individual countries. Louise Campbell points out an issue in this article about the increased risk to postmenopausal women. This elicits a range of comments, the most important of which revolve around the need to educate OBGYN physicians and their allied providers on the importance liver risk is to postmenopausal women. Zebra Yanasi has spent decades building a knowledge base that is a significant part of how the world looks at mazel patient dynamics and trends today. This discussion encapsulates some of that wisdom in the context of winter 2024. It intrigues while it educates. So just sit back, listen, enjoy, learn. And when you're done, join our dialogue in the LinkedIn discussion group. First of all, it seems to me that the numbers that you've been producing over the years suggest a rate of increase of disease where if we could simply flatten the curve, that would be pretty heroic given the low level of attention and resource that it gets right now. What feels to you like a realistic goal for the next two, three, five years? Zobar Yunasi. So I think we have sort of multiple level of parallel attempts that we have to make. At the primary care sort of level, they need to be aware of, if nothing else, to risk stratify patients. They don't have to necessarily take care of those patients because a lot of the primary care physicians, general practitioners in the United States, they're afraid that the number of patients they're seeing and the limitation on their time is a deterrent for them to do this. We need to educate them at that level. And the gastroenterology and hepatology side is that you know, for those patients that we need to either treat with new drugs when we have, or first of all, to have an effective lifestyle intervention in place, that would be important. And the clinical side, it's really multidisciplinary sort of approach to this and care pathways that, that will bring in multiple care providers. I'm not even saying that there has to be nutritionists, there has to be a behavioral health specialist, uh, and a, maybe in a virtual sort of umbrella that will deal with this disease. That's on the clinical side. On the national side, every country needs to understand that this is an important liver disease. And, you know, we know that liver disease is not, at least in, in the, you know, one of the top dozen sort of causes of mortality in the United States and other places. So we have to address this by creating national policy for each country that could be different than, than one from the other country. We're just finishing up a study looking at the global burden of disease data set combined with United Nations data set and looking at food insecurity and its impact on both prevalence and mortality. You'd be surprised that when you look at what are the drivers of both prevalence and mortality, it's different than what we call the high SDI countries and low SDI countries. That's SDI is the socio-demographic index. So you have to actually understand the reality of each country. That's not only the disease, but economic and social sort of determinant of health in those countries that we can actually address appropriately with the regional sort of side. So that's what I like to see in parallel to the clinical side. And then most importantly, we'll raise it to the global, that the global, you know, the WHO needs to really recognize this disease as an important non-communicable disease. Like we have all said before, 
With kidney disease, yes, kidney disease is very important. You can live with dialysis when you have kidney failure. When you have liver failure, you don't have dialysis. You'll either die or get a liver transplant, and there's not many livers around to actually do transplant for all these patients. So it's a deadly disease, and we'd like to prevent it. So these three levels are very important to address. And then I would say at the top of all of this, although it could start from the bottom, but at the top of this and at the, at the foundation of this are patients. We want to make sure that the patient groups, patient advocacy groups, but actual patients understand that this is an important disease, that they should become much more engaged and involved. And when they have diabetes and they go see their doctor about for, for their diabetes and their eye check and their kidney check, they should say, are you going to check my, my liver or not? I think it's going to be engagement from all these sort of different stakeholders that will get us there. There was a lot of enthusiasm from the pharma companies when this disease was being promoted first in the last 10 years. But unfortunately, a lot of drugs failed just because it's a very complex disease and you cannot simplify this. And if you simplify it, you will fail in terms of your drug development. But that failure have actually sort of at least dampened some of the enthusiasm from the pharma side. But as we get the new drug approval, hopefully in March, there is Metarom that hopefully will be approved this year. And then the drug that the GLP-1s and dual uh, agonists that, that Jorn was talking about, the more success we see in the future that are not only the improved outcomes, but also quality of life of patients, then, then we will see re-engagement of pharma that could do a lot of good for promoting this. And of course, ultimately, it's all about our patients and how we actually get our patients out of this uh, potential trajectory. First of all, Sabir, thanks. Fantastic answer and fantastic thoughts. I have more questions than I could ask in the next two hours. So let me let you guys go ahead instead of me monopolizing. Louise Campbell. One of the sections within the paper referred to the fact that women over 55 um, are one of the liver transplant risks now. Is there an opportunity here to liaise with menopausal health? to put women on a screening program rather like we have cervical screening, breast screening, particularly when they hit menopause and go through, to try and reduce that increasingly growing need that goes to transplant. Purely because we've discussed here, women don't get transplanted as often and we don't do as well. So whether or not we can pick out high-risk populations. Yeah, absolutely. I think that should be part of the uh, better targeted approach to different population. I mean, the algorithms currently look at individuals who have elevated liver enzyme, who have metabolic abnormalities who have type 2 diabetes, they should be at least, uh, you know, risk stratified. Because as you know, and the prevalence of MASH is higher in women postmenopausal and the progression of disease is faster. This may be related to the, all the metabolic uh, sort of changes that happens postmenopause. And I think this should be recognized and, and looking for, especially if you look for markers of insulin resistance in the postmenopausal setting. And if you see any of those, those are directly connected to, to MASH and those are the patients that should actually be screen because that's probably how you could impact the uh, the burden of this disease in that segment of the population that ultimately has been feeding the liver transplant side of things. Absolutely. I think it should become a part of that care pathway. Jörn Schattenberg. The menopause question is interesting, Louise, uh, also from the pathophysiological view because we have estrogen receptors in the liver actually and there's a number of groups have been exploring that in animal models, of course, also female sex as a risk factor if it comes to age and then all of a sudden when your hormone level drop and you have a death related to the age, you know, you're past 50. Uh, I think you're, you're struck with two risk factors at once. And that's when women catch up with disease severity over uh, their male counterparts, which, you know, have been building up a little bit more slowly, but more continuously. This is something that we typically factor in with age, but there is an additional kick from estrogen level decline that 
that that feeds that, as far as I understand it, from the pathophysiology. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. I was just going to say, I'd like to see maybe some liver health put into some of the menopausal debates in their conferences and awareness. But um, we'll get there. It's it's the next notch on the gun, as they say. So, Jorn, you got time on your schedule to expand your uh, outreach to uh, gynecology conferences? (laughs) Well, it doesn't have to be one person doing it all, right? I think there's a lot of capable people in the field. So, you know, I think it's among the groups that we can talk to uh, because they're treating patients at risk for advanced liver disease. Gynecologists uh, in contact with women uh, postmenopausal are clearly a group that we should inform about this. And, you know, they're doing ultrasounds to a certain degree. If you identify steatotic liver disease in your patient during an exam, that would be another fit. Anyways, I think it's important to educate colleagues on it and the risk factors. And a gynecologist might as well be another group we have to talk to. Could you be more so, Barry, were you going to say something about that or should we go on to the next question? Yeah, no, I mean, I, the, the auditor should be involved in the context of PCOS, which is a, a, a you know, uh, on uh, and, and the OB and GYN side of things. Uh, and, and uh, you know, those are patients with significant insulin resistance and, and very high rate of, of MASH. And now back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please put those in the review section of the page from which you downloaded this conversation or send an email to me, questions at surfingmash.com. We'll be back next week to discuss what new information or product to expect in NIT space in 2024. Until then, stay safe, surf on. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye now.